July 30th, 2020, 3.48 a.m. I mention this time because... It's an odd hour, I think, even for me, to be recording a podcast episode. But I quickly became aware that I was not going to be able to return to sleep until I got up and recorded it. I have spent my career telling the stories of others, but for this episode, the storyteller, as well as the subject of the story, are one and the same, me. For my entire adult life, and even for a segment of my teenage years, I have had a belief about, shall we call it, divine intervention. This belief is that from time to time in our lives, when we stray from our path, we are sent a message by God, or Allah, or Divine Spirit, or Great Spirit, or a host of many other names that all refer to the same Divine Presence. This message initially comes to us, or to me, as a gentle nudge, a reminder of sorts to let me know that I am not quite centered on my path. And as a brief side note, even though I am confident that this divine guidance occurs to everyone, I will allow this to be solely about me as the example. Anyhow, When this intervention presents itself to me, I am either unaware of it because of its gentleness, or I acknowledge it and then continue on my way. In other words, the lesson is not heeded, for whatever reason. Then time passes by, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, and then another nudge comes along, this one slightly more, shall we say, recognizable than the previous nudge. Most times, either due to a continued unawareness of it or a blatant dismissal of it, more time continues to pass, and I become even further distanced from my path. This process of nudges continues each one with a bit more intensity than the previous one. And in those times when I repeatedly ignore the nudges, regardless of the reason, and I have all but lost sight of my path, the final nudge presents itself. This nudge is no longer gentle or subtle in any way. In fact, generally it is tantamount to having a large brick wall fall upon me. I use this euphemism of the brick wall because in my experience, when the nudge reaches this level, it generally leaves a physical consequence, as the further telling of this story will illustrate shortly. I say doubly blessed in the title of this episode because this story is about two instances, nearly back-to-back. The first one not only pertains to me personally, but to the world. It is the COVID pandemic that has affected every human being on this planet in one way or another. The second instance solely pertains to me. It is the motorcycle accident that I experienced on Memorial Day. I believe without any doubt that this COVID pandemic has come as a wake-up call for the entire world. And the longer it drags out, the more confident I am in this statement. Many of you listening may be doubting my conviction to this statement, or at the very least, questioning why 
I would consider this, or even the motorcycle accident for that matter, a blessing. This pandemic, since it first arrived, has forced us, every human being on this planet, for the most part, we have been forced to not only look at life differently, but to live it differently. Now, granted, there are many people who have rebelled and sometimes violently towards this change. But for many who have adhered to it, they have seen great changes in the substance of their lives. Many have rediscovered the value of community and of family and of friends. And this is not to say that all of this comes without frustration. There is great frustration and there is great fear and there is great worry for what will be as the uncertain future of all of us, of the world itself, continues to unfold. But I truly, truly believe that if we look at this as a blessing and accept it as a blessing, and moreover, that we accept it as a lesson, as a wake-up call, and we make changes necessary in our lives, in each of our individual lives, and these changes will become part of a collective, a much larger collective that will affect other positive changes. But if we choose to go down the path of fear and anger and resentment, then each of us will continue to stray even further from our path. And this too will add to the much larger collective, resulting in even more anger and divisiveness worldwide. As for the motorcycle accident, wow, what an amazing lesson. And what an incredible blessing. Within about 12 hours of the accident, while laying in bed in a fair amount of pain, I became profoundly aware of the lessons, plural, as there were definitely more than one, along with a great clarity as to what the lessons were. To give you a little background, I have been riding motorcycles for about 57 years. Yeah, 57 years. And in that time, I have dropped a motorcycle twice. The first time was about 30 years ago, give or take. I was riding on back roads in the pouring down rain, and as I made a right turn across a railroad crossing that was coated in rubber, my tires lost traction. The bike went down, I came off, and I rolled side to side over and over about four or five times. But I wasn't injured other than a couple of pulled muscles. The second time was about six or seven months ago. Again, I was riding on back roads and I came around a very sharp curve and much to my surprise, there was someone coming in the opposite direction in my lane. I swerved to miss them and as I did, I went to the side of the road and then quickly realized that the side of the road was about a four foot drop. Much like a wily e. Coyote scene out of the Roadrunner cartoon, I momentarily found myself suspended in midair as the motorcycle thankfully dropped out from under me. And then my body, as gravity would have it, dropped to the ground. I bounced. And with the exception of a couple of pulled muscles, again, I was fine. It also warrants mentioning 
that in the entirety of those 57 years of riding motorcycles, I never once wore any kind of protective gear aside from a full face helmet. But this year, as the winter months were beginning to wane in spring, albeit still distantly in the future, my internal voice spoke loudly, saying, David, perhaps you should consider some riding gear. Of course, my response was the response that I always gave. Why? But this time, the dialogue continued. Within the next three or four weeks, I purchased riding gear. First, I purchased a pair of pants, and then I purchased a jacket. My justification was that last year, while I was out on one of my long-distance trips, I ran into a day of torrential downpours, and even though I was wearing Gore-Tex, I ended up saturated to the bone and cold. The reason that I mention this is because my riding gear played an integral part in my survival with this accident. I was out for a ride with two other friends from the motorcycle club, and my friend Ron, who was leading the ride, had suggested that we do about 200 miles of back roads in Tennessee and Kentucky. About 130 miles into the ride, we approached yet another curve, one of hundreds that we had ridden through that day. And just as I entered the curve at about 65 miles an hour, I became acutely aware of my front tire having lost traction. As I leaned the motorcycle into the curve, I hit a patch of thick gravel that I hadn't seen. At the exact same moment that I became acutely aware of my loss of traction, I also became equally aware that I was headed uncontrollably towards a culvert along the side of the road. This, I thought in the moment, was a blessing in disguise because I had ridden through culverts a couple of times before. My assumption and my plan of action was that once I got into the culvert, which was made of dirt and not concrete or asphalt, this would help to slow me down, I could navigate through it, and once my speed was diminished, I would return to the asphalt of the road, which, as great fortune would have it, was at the opposite side of the curve where the road straightened out once again. I have full recollection of entering the culvert, the motorcycle bouncing a bit, and navigating my way through, and then, in an instant, literally, in less time than it takes to blink the eye, my awareness was completely consumed by the physical sensation of my left shoulder plowing into the ground, followed almost immediately by the left side of my face slamming into the very same ground. Fortunately, I was wearing a full-face helmet, I laid there for a moment, trying to assess the situation. My toes moved, my feet moved, my arms and my hands moved, so I figured I was okay. With that, I attempted to get up, and as soon as I did, I felt the most excruciating pain in my left shoulder blade. My immediate assumption was that I dislocated my shoulder. I walked around, trying to shake off some of the pain and to reorient myself. Then, I reached across with my right hand and laid it upon my shoulder. That's when I realized that it was my clavicle that had been broken. 
The dead giveaway was the piece of broken bone that was sticking up and pressing tightly against the skin. The two people that I was riding with, once they realized I was no longer behind them, turned around and came back. Together, we assessed the situation, which at this point was not looking all that great. I was still about 70 miles from home and about 55 miles from the nearest hospital. I was truly in the middle of nowhere and also having virtually no signal for my cell phone. After a fair amount of walking around trying to find a patch where I could get some signal, I was able to get a phone call to my wife, who unfortunately was in northern Arizona. But by reaching her, I was able to turn the gauntlet over to her, so to speak, to make the phone calls and try to find me a way out. Eventually, she was able to reach our oldest son and arrange for him to come pick me up. The problem there is there was really no way to give him directions because the road we were on didn't really have a name. And there was no intersection to guide him by. But... As is always the case when divine intervention enters a situation with a plan, there was a plan. It was about two hours after the accident itself that my son arrived on the scene. By this time, I was sitting in a ditch, trying to support my upper body to keep it upright. By this time, my awareness had also given me insight to the fact that, more than likely, I had also broken a rib. My breathing had become very labored. After nearly three hours in the emergency room and numerous x-rays, I came to learn that I had indeed broken my collarbone. In fact, I broke it into two pieces. One piece was sticking up, and that's a piece I felt pressing against my skin, and the other piece was underneath that, bracing it upwards. I also broke six ribs in nine places and bruised my lung. Fortunately, during my stay in the emergency room, I was treated to two shots of morphine. They sent me home with one pain pill that, as they put it, should get me through the night. They also gave me a prescription for additional pain pills, enough for 24 hours, they said. For more than that, I was told, I would need to contact my primary care physician to have another prescription written, to which I responded, I don't have a primary care physician, to which they responded, well, I don't know what you're going to do then. When I got home, I took the pain pill that they had given me, and indeed it helped a bit to get me through the night. The next morning, I got up, got dressed as best I could, and drove to the pharmacy to have my prescription for 24 hours worth of pain pills filled. But instead of having those pills last me for 24 hours, I needed to find a way to make them last much longer. And I did. In fact, I was able to make them last for another five days. I'm talking about this pain pill situation in great detail because I want to emphasize something that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. And that is, when divine intervention intervenes, there is always a plan, even if we are clueless to its existence. By the end of that week, my wife had been able to fly home, and subsequently she had been able to secure pain medications for me. 
And here is where the plan really begins to show itself. After about a week of continued recuperation, but still in a lot of pain, my wife had convinced me to return to northern Arizona with her, where I would be able to see a doctor there, hence a primary care physician, which would then enable me to be recommended to an orthopedist for further evaluation. And it is here that this plan of divine intervention becomes crystal clear. Instead of this physician just looking at my shoulder and saying, yes, it is definitely broken, and then subsequently recommending me to an orthopedist, he decided to shoot another series of x-rays. And when they viewed the new x-rays, they realized immediately that the original x-rays had been misread by the emergency room doctor and radiologist. My clavicle had not been broken into two pieces, but rather it had been broken into three pieces. What this meant is that there was no way that the bones would naturally resettle back into place and then heal naturally. This was going to need surgery, and there was no way around it. Now I needed to make my way back to Nashville. Now, some of you listening may be scratching your head at this point and wondering, where in all of this do I find the blessing? The answer to that is that I had found the blessing in several places, but the primary blessing was in the time that this gave me to think and to reconnect with that which was my path. For one thing, it was the circumstances that, for lack of a better term, aligned themselves so that I had to return to northern Arizona sooner than I had planned. One of the primary things that happened because I returned early is that I was able to connect with people that I really needed to connect with. Had I not returned until my original return date, which was about two months later, I would not have connected with these people. We never would have met one another. This early return also provided me with an opportunity to make a photograph that I had wanted to make my previous visit, but couldn't. And again, had I waited another two months, the opportunity would have once again passed me by. And on a purely spiritual level, for me, returning to northern Arizona was incredibly healing, both physically and spiritually. Overall, the three weeks that I spent there provided me with the openness and the presence and the uninterrupted downtime to think and, most of all, to process. It provided me with the uninterrupted time to conceptualize and to reason things out. In short, it provided me with an opportunity to blow out the cobwebs and to finally make sense of all of the things that I had placed on the back burners over the years because my plate was always overloaded. I was forced to relinquish control, something I'd never been able to do, over so many things, and I was led uncontrollably to just be. 
By the time I returned home to Nashville, I was once again running low on pain pills. It seems that because of current laws that a doctor is only allowed to prescribe a limited amount, which is basically a five-day supply. And once again, I needed to take my five-day supply and stretch it out over four weeks. But because I was forced to do this, two really great things came out of it. One is that I learned how to manage pain again, something that I had learned decades ago as a Marine. And the other great aspect of this is that it kept me from becoming addicted to these pain medications, which as we all know is now a very common occurrence. Within a week of returning home, I had found an orthopedist, I was able to get an appointment within a week after that, and surgery a week after my appointment. During those few weeks, I was quarantined like everyone else, but now every aspect of my life had been turned around for the better. During the weeks that preceded my surgery, I was more productive than I had been in months, quite possibly even years. And every aspect of my life had clarity and a definitive direction. What I have described to you this morning is truly just the highlights. There were so many other things that occurred, so many other opportunities, so many other insights that all occurred simply because I had the accident. To further emphasize the profoundness of this accident and to clarify even more my undeniable knowledge that this was truly meant to be a lesson, please be aware of this. Just a few inches difference in the angle that my body impacted the ground would have resulted in me being paralyzed or dead. And this is coming from the ER doc. I broke only bones that could easily heal and not leave me with any lasting loss of mobility or pain. And this is coming from my orthopedist. I was injured just enough to stop me in my tracks, much the way my body stopped when my shoulder impacted the ground. And the ordeals around the injuries gave me the time and the insights needed to set my entire life back on track. Until next time, this is David Robert Farmery bidding you the most amazing life that you desire.